are looking forward to Grace Loves Auburn at the end of the month. We do this every year. It's an amazing event. This room is filled with free items. We already have 200 families from the community registered that are going to be coming to collect items. And right now we have about 50 volunteers from Grace. And we like to keep those numbers about even. So if that tells you anything, let's step up, let's sign up, let's serve. Grace loves Auburn. Let's do it together. It's a one-time event to serve and looking forward to it. God always does amazing things at the event and the relationships that are built. And so many people even start to come to our church and be part of our church family. So keep that in prayer. Uh, also, I want to point out last week we had a power outage if you were gone. Let's not do that again. Amen. There were rolling outages across Auburn, so this affected many churches. Many churches didn't have live streaming, had to cut short their services. It just made me grateful, pulling in the parking lot today, that we don't take it for granted, that we have power. Let us rejoice and be glad when we come into the house of the Lord. Amen? We don't take this for granted at all. I also want to give a shout out, Pastor Mark, the security team, all of our leaders, and our whole church family just stayed extremely calm, understanding, no panic, and uh, again, just thank you everyone for the way you walk through that challenge. Don't we know that in our faith, the way we walk through challenges matters? And isn't God growing us to walk through different challenges? Some things we've never even seen before, but we can continue to trust God, stay united, and walk through it together. We're in the book of Revelation right now. There's plenty of challenges in that book. There's also incredibly good news in the book of Revelation. If this is a new book for you, I hope you dive in. We're going to dive in deep today. We're in Revelation chapter 3. If you brought a Bible or you want to find it on your phone, you can go ahead and turn to Revelation 3. We're going to start in verse 7. And I also want to point out today that once a month, we have our elders, our prayer team available at the end of the message And you might be here and you've never put your trust in Jesus. And we celebrate that we have people here who've been walking with Jesus for decades. And we have people here who have never opened a Bible, studied a Bible, or decided to follow Jesus. And you have an opportunity at the end of the message to come forward with one of the elders and just say, I'm ready to follow Jesus. It's also a time where you can come forward for healing. Do you have any healing needs in your life? Anything happening where you need prayer? Well, in James chapter 5, it says, come forward. The elders will have oil. They will pray for you. And it's powerful. It's powerful when we honor God and pray and lift up these situations to the Lord. God has brought so much healing. That's why we do this every month. It's straight from the Bible. God is moving through this time. So at the end of the message, you'll have an opportunity to come forward as well. Let me pray and we'll get into God's word. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for what you have planned today, that we're not here by accident, on campus and at home, God, online. What you do, God, no one else can do. And our confidence and trust is in you, Jesus. We want to listen close to you. We want to tune in. We want to hear your voice, trust your voice. Be still, my soul. Be still, my soul. There is a good shepherd. Jesus, you are are our good shepherd, and we give you praise. In your name we pray, amen. Jesus has very personal messages for his church, seven churches in the book of Revelation, historical churches. Jesus has personal messages for you, for his followers. Listen to his voice, tune into his voice. Open your ears, this book says. Open your ears and listen. Open your heart. Open your soul. Receive Jesus. Receive his words today. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, and the word will transform you. 
We love to get into God's word. And as we study the book of Revelation and any other book, it's important to notice the context. And here's a map. There are seven churches that Jesus is communicating with, and we have a God who communicates. These seven churches are present-day Turkey. Back then, it was Asia Minor. And today's church is Philadelphia. You can see where that's located, further inland. And it's not one of those coastal cities with so much trade and finances and sophistication. Philadelphia's tucked further inland, and Philadelphia means brotherly love. It's a term in the Bible about seven times, but this is the only place where it's this particular city in present-day Turkey. What's interesting in terms of this church, it's a church where there's no rebuke. Jesus is communicating to all seven. He frequently brings a rebuke. And notice, Jesus rebukes us because he loves us. We all need rebukes. We all need conviction from the Holy Spirit. That helps us grow. And there are times when there's no rebuke. And there's no rebuke for this church. They are solid. They are persevering. And this is a word of encouragement to a church, but not a rebuke. They are located in the central plains. This is a plateau area. It's kind of a gateway into the eastern part of Asia Minor. They are known for agriculture, Grapes in particular in Philadelphia. And also there's a lot of earthquakes in Philadelphia. There's a fault line that runs right through the city. Would you stay in the city if you knew there was a serious fault line and frequent earthquakes and tremors in your city? Many people then moved outside of the city. And in AD 17, there was a massive earthquake. These people knew about rebuilding. Maybe you're in a rebuilding stage in your life right now. God is rebuilding different areas. The people in Philadelphia, they knew about tragedy, they knew about earthquakes, and they knew about rebuilding. When I lived in Southern California, we felt tremors frequently. I remember feeling a tremor the night after we bought a new bed. It was in the middle of the night, and I just thought, we bought the wrong bed. (laughs) What inexpensive rip-off bed did we buy? And then I woke up and realized, no, this isn't the bed. This is an earthquake. There's been serious earthquakes in Northern California. When I lived in California, you just never knew when the earthquake would come. Well, knowing there's a fault line in Philadelphia, there were frequent earthquakes, and it was just another dynamic in that city. Challenges, challenges. I want to say this about open doors. In the middle of the greatest challenges, God opens up the greatest doors. In the middle of the controversy, God opens up the greatest doors. In the middle of the crisis, that's when God opens up the greatest doors in the Bible and today. In the middle of the changes, that's when God opens up the greatest doors. We have a lot of people running around saying, crisis, change, controversy. I guess I'll just feel hopeless and retreat. And I would say, no, that's the very time that God opens up the greatest doors. The death of Jesus, oh, all of those things and more. God was about to open a door on the third day, on Sunday morning. If there's change and there's controversy and there's challenge and crisis in your life, in the nation, in the world, God is a lifter of your head and know that God is opening up incredible doors in that season. And they come together. Well, what type of doors are we talking about today? Let's look at four characteristics of these doors. And we're going to start in... This is chapter 3, verse 7. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. These are doors that no one can shut. 
Isn't it good walking through an open door that God opens and you just know no one can shut this door? This concept is throughout the Bible. Going back to the Old Testament, we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 22. And this is specific instances, but broader truths. In Isaiah chapter 22, this is referring to Eliakim. I will place on his shoulder the key to the house of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. Eliakim was a palace administrator, and he could open up the entrance to the palace. He also had access to the riches of the king. So there's a specific historical context and reference, but then it's a broader truth. And uh, also, this is Isaiah chapter 45, referring to Cyrus. This is what the Lord says to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I take hold of to subdue nations before him and to strip kings of their armor, to open doors before him so that gates will not be shut. Cyrus was a foreign king, but his life. There was a divine commission, and he set captives free. He encouraged people to return home, and there was a work that God was doing there that no one could stop. There are works in every nation and generation that God does that no one can stop, and that door will not be shut. Well, we read about the key of David. What is that? David was considered the greatest human king in Israel's history, uniting the 12 tribes, and then his love for the Lord. Did he make mistakes? Probably a longer list of sins than you would consider your own list of personal sins. But he was a man after God's own heart. Why? Because there was repentance, restoration, and he lived for God, and he said, God, I want to be close to you and do whatever you want me to do. And anyone in this room can turn in repentance and restoration and be a man or woman after God's own heart. Well, the keys represented authority. And he had authority in terms of the king, a kingdom, palace, the leadership. All this was part of his authority. In addition, because of God's grace, in David's lineage and amongst his descendants, there would always be one on the throne. The Messiah would come from David's lineage. Jesus is from David's lineage. This is David's dynasty. And Jesus has keys. In Revelation chapter 1, earlier in this series, Jesus has keys over Hades and over death. Well, what does that mean? Don't skip over that phrase. Jesus has keys over death. He laid down his life as a substitute for our sin, dying on the cross. But he has keys over death. The only religious leader who's not in the grave, and on the third day, he's risen. Victory over death in the grave. And keys over hell. What does that mean? He's going to throw the devil. The hell is created. This lake of fire for the devil. He's going to throw the devil into hell for eternity. He has authority over the devil, death, darkness. Jesus has the keys. Those keys are a big deal. Those keys are a very big deal. The keys to the kingdom. Well, you might look at David and say, it doesn't look like the doors are going to open. And you might feel sometimes in your own life, it doesn't feel like the doors are going to open. Looking at David as a teenager, it doesn't look like David's going to be king. There's a lot of obstacles there. There's a lot of people who want to close the door. Have you ever noticed that when God is going to open up a door in your life, there's people who want to close that very door? They're trying hard to close the door that God is leading you to walk through. Well, what did David have to deal with? Well, there was Saul who was so kind to his face. And then after leaving Saul's presence, Saul would twist things and want to go kill David. 
Have you ever been around someone who's so nice to you, compliments to you? Oh, I just love you. I'm on the same page as you. Oh, I think you're outstanding. Oh, that's a great idea. But the minute you're gone, I'm not on board. I don't like them. I don't trust them. What they came up with was a terrible idea. And you know what? I'm not with it. I don't even think they should be in that spot. You ever dealt with that before? Well, David overcomes Saul. He overcomes Samuel. Now, Samuel is someone who loves the Lord, listens to God. But Samuel overlooked David. He thought, no, 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 can't be David, can't be David. It's got to be one of those who are more impressive. Has anyone ever overlooked you? And they went thinking, oh, this other person's more impressive. Look at their size, look at their gifts, look at their skills, look at their resume. But actually, you're the one God's choosing to walk through that open door. So you overcome those type of people, the Samuels that overlook you. And then he overcame Goliath. Have you ever had someone who's loud, who mocks you, who opposes you, who tries to intimidate and bully you and shut you down? Well, David's going to overcome Goliath. And after more than 10 years, David is going to become king. Why? Because when God opens a door, no one can shut it. Not Saul, Samuel, or Goliath, or anyone else that came along David's path. Wait on the Lord, be strong, take heart, and wait on the Lord. Jesus encourages his followers to walk through these doors. He says in Matthew chapter 7, referring to prayer, that you should ask, seek, and knock. Because when you ask, you will receive. When you seek, you will find. When you knock, what will happen? The door will be open. Well, what's the verb tense? Is it knock once real quick? No, that's not the verb tense. The verb tense is keep on knocking on the door. Keep on knocking on the door. Trust God with results, but keep on asking. By faith, keep asking. And what's going to happen? God's going to be glorified, and God's going to open doors. I don't know how this works in his sovereignty, but for those who ask, they receive. And for many, you don't have because you don't ask. And you say, well, I don't know, do you want the Holy Spirit to fill you? Well, some ask for that, some don't ask for that. Do you want to lead people to Jesus? Well, some ask for that, some don't ask for that. Do you want to use all your gifts to the full? Well, some ask for that, some don't ask for that. But if you ask and you keep knocking on that door, God's going to open doors through those prayers, answer prayers, and you're going to see doors open because you're fasting, praying, seeking the Lord, and crying out to him. He's a God who hears our prayers, and we see this throughout Scripture. You say, well, how does it exactly work with open doors, and does God open them? Do we knock? Like, well, it's kind of all the above, and there's some mystery there. You know, when you think about Peter walking on the water, I had this perception, and it goes way back, but I had this perception that Jesus was saying to the disciples in the boat, come out and walk on the water, all of you. Peter, I want you to walk on the water. But when you read that text, what you find out is that Peter is actually saying, Jesus, if that's you, because sometimes when they're in the boat and it's kind of foggy and there's a figure, sometimes the disciples think it's a ghost, sometimes it's Jesus, not a ghost. And Peter says, Jesus, if that's you, then, then I want to walk on the water. And Jesus says, come. He responds. Peter knocks on the door. Jesus says, come. And Peter gets a few steps on the water. Wouldn't you rather have a couple steps in the water than just create a comfortable boat? Even though he sink, 
struggling, sinking, learn from that. Got to keep my eyes on Jesus in the storm so I don't sink. But wouldn't you rather, do you know that the majority of people then and now would much rather have a comfortable boat than a couple of dangerous steps on the water? It was Peter who was knocking. It was Peter who wanted to walk through that door, and there was a door that he could walk on water. You can do some things if you cry out to Jesus, and he says yes, you're going to be amazed at what he does that you would have never thought, and it wouldn't happen. You can't walk on water and be in the boat at the same time. You just can't. A lot of people are like, yeah, I really want to walk on water, but I'm not leaving the boat. Well, how are you going to walk on water when you're, there's no water in the boat to walk on? <laughs> like, it's not going to, God opens the greatest doors. God opens the greatest doors when we walk by faith and not by sight. Well, those are some truths about doors. Hey, what about our church? Our church, the open door that God has brought, and we're so grateful for it, is that we're a multi-generational, multicultural, multi-ethnic church. And that is a door that God has opened that no one can shut. Now, is that the easy road? No, it's not. Is that the common road? No, it's not. Are there challenges? Yes, there are. Will there be some who are more seasoned in our church who will say, this just feels a little young. I want everything old school around here. It's going to happen. Are some of them going to leave? A couple will. A couple will. Are there going to be some young ones who are feeling like, I don't know, do I stay here? There's a lot of people a generation or two older than I am, and it feels a lot of, I don't feel a lot of old school stuff around here. And will some of them leave because of that? Some will. Some will. But what we're trying to do is to have a multi-generational church where we see those dynamics and preferences and make some sacrifices and come together and walk in unity and celebrate and learn from each other in the generations that God's brought. A multi-ethnic, a multicultural church. Well, it sounds kind of simple. Let's look more like Auburn and let's look more like heaven. Because in heaven, there's people from every nation, tongue, and tribe. Could we make it more on earth like it is in heaven? Well, sometimes that can be difficult to be countercultural and say this is a place of equality for all people of all nations. This is a place of unity for people of all ethnicities. And then not just to say it, but to live it out. Because our end goal is not just to, in the building, have a range of people, but the end goal is friendships, and even in our homes. So that's what God opens up as a door of opportunity for us. That's what he's called us to. No one can shut it. Many criticize it. No one can shut it. We're going to walk through that door together. We're going to continue to walk through that door. See, here's the key in walking through doors. It's your heart. And you wrestle with either being entitled or humbled. Entitled or humbled. Entitled says, well, do I have to? Okay, do I have to serve? Do I have to be a greeter? Do I have to be a Grace Loves Auburn? No, you don't have to. It's not an entitled thing. The humbled is, do I get to? Do I get to welcome people who are coming maybe to church for the first time in years and they're just giving God one more shot? Do I get to serve at Grace Loves Auburn and walk with people as they pick up items for their babies? Do I get to do that? Yeah, 
It's holy ground. We get to do that. But that's the heart of walking through doors and we gotta check our heart. And ultimately, don't get fixated on the door because the door is not the greatest part. The open door is not the greatest part. It's the one who opens the door. Keep your eyes on Jesus, not the door. Don't let the door become an idol. Follow Jesus, trust Jesus, walk through that door for his glory, united, but the door is not God. Amen? Your job is not God. Your career is not God. Your money is not God. Don't bow down to those. It's not the door. It's the one who opens the door. And what he opens, no one can shut. Here's the second truth. Doors that do not require much strength. That's an interesting twist. Let's take a look at verse 8. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength. Yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. When Jesus says, I know you have little strength, don't you just kind of exhale like, oh good, I don't have to fake it. I don't have to try to trick God, even though that's never worked, never will work. But, but I don't have to muster up a bunch of fake stuff and look extra spiritual. Jesus just knows I don't have a lot of strength. Jesus was tired physically. He gets it. Jesus took naps. Jesus knows that we run low on strength. So what do you do when your strength is lower? You're going to turn to God. You're going to receive the power and strength of God. And you're going to rely on the Holy Spirit. And what you're going to start to discover is that his power is made perfect when we're weak. And you're going to start to gain confidence in God that all the pressure is not on me to be extra strong all the time. But I can come to my God when I'm weak and he will give me strength I don't have, can't fake or manufacture. And he's going to come through. And I'm going to trust him to walk through that door even though it doesn't feel like, and I really don't, have that much strength. You see, Philadelphia was the smaller church. There were other churches that were bigger, and it was easy for Philadelphia to feel like they're insignificant. Do you ever feel like you're insignificant? Do you ever feel like your gifts are smaller than others, your experience is smaller than others, the doors you walk through are smaller than others, and you just kind of feel insignificant? It would be easy for Philadelphia to have an inferiority complex if they compared themselves to other churches. You don't need to be comparing, envying, jealous of any others. You trust the Lord in what he's given you. You walk in that calling. You are anointed. You are called. God is leading you, empowering you, and there's no limits to what God can do. When I think about the sound across the board, there's about, I looked up 3.3 million people in the sound. You know, Grace Community Church and our whole database, I think there's about 5,000 names. Do you know what percentage of people are connected to our church as compared to the sound? That's .001. You could step back and say, what could .001% of the sound, how could they have any influence? How could they change the culture? Well, the answer is they can't on their own. But that's exactly where God steps in. You could look around Auburn today and you would see if you counted up everybody in every church, the number would probably be less than 5% of Auburn. And you could sit back and get discouraged in despair and see, see, that's why we got problems in Auburn. How is Auburn ever gonna change when you got less than 5% of people worshiping Jesus, getting in the word on Sunday morning? How could it change? Well, even though it looks insignificant, God loves to take a Gideon's army and show that it's his power and his glory. All we need to do is be available. Give me a smaller number of people who are available, 
versus a bigger number of people who are just showing up and keeping a seat warm, right? Let's be available for the Lord. Well, there's no limits to what God can do. They were in a difficult area. There was tension in their area. It's not easy to follow Jesus in the sound. There's some dynamics here that don't exist in other parts of the country. There were dynamics in Philadelphia. If you were Jewish and you followed Jesus, even though that was the right decision, Jesus is Jewish, Jesus loves Jews, a fulfilled Jew is one who recognizes the Messiah is here. If you do that, you be excommunicated from many circles within the Jewish culture. Some of that still exists today. Well, what about on the Gentile side? They expected you to bow down and worship the emperors. And if you didn't, if you said, no, Jesus is Lord, you could be punished, beaten, or killed because of that. It was not easy to follow Jesus in Philadelphia. And I want to communicate very clearly. When you walk through these open doors, most often it will not be easy. It will not be easy. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 9, the Apostle Paul says it this way. He's excited because a door has opened up. Because a great door for effective work has opened up to me. And don't miss the second half of the truth in the sentence. And there are many who oppose me. Why doesn't the church walk through more open doors? Why don't we? God opens a door. We see the doors open. We see it's from God. Why don't we walk through more open doors? I'll tell you why. Because there's pain, there's suffering, there's mistreatment, and there's a high cost to walk through kingdom doors. That's why we're not walking through as many doors as we could. That's why we're leaving a lot on the table. Well, think about Jesus. Was there a cost? You know what the open door was? The cross and the resurrection. There wasn't more suffering. There wasn't a higher cost to walk through that open door. But Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done, Father. And as you walk through some of these doors, the the ultimate test is not, well, do I feel like walking through? How does it feel to walk through the door? Does it feel really nice? Does it feel really comfortable? If that's your ultimate test, you probably don't walk through the door. But if the ultimate is, Father, you be glorified. Jesus, you increase and I'll decrease. Father, this is for your glory. Your will be done. If that's your heart, wow, you're going to walk through a lot of doors. It comes back to the heart again. Walking through doors is linked to our heart. And there's challenges. Uh, Last week, we had a power outage, no 1045. If you came at 1045, thanks for your understanding. No 1045 services. I was just asking around, has this ever happened in the history of grace? Maybe not. Maybe not. No one could share any time that power went out and we had to close the services. Has a pandemic like the one we've been through the last two years ever happened before? See, you might be walking through some things that you've never walked through before. And a lot of questions about what happened last week. I got a couple pictures just because curious minds like to know. It was actually the HVAC downstairs And because there was smoke downstairs, you know, the fire department came, there was a smell that permeated the building. And as you look at the next picture, what happened, the motor kept running, but the rest had shut down. So it overheated and there was smoke everywhere, terrible smell. That was why downstairs felt at first and the kids started to leave the classrooms. You know what else happened this week? And this is a picture from my office, Uh, water came through my ceiling in my office. And it wasn't just in one spot. Look at this next picture. 
It was in multiple spots. Have you ever had that happen in your house where there's water coming through and you're like, which bathroom is that coming through? Is that the roof that has a leak? Like, what is going on? So this last week, there's smoke and a smell coming up from the basement. We got water coming through the roof. Do you ever feel like that's your life some days, some weeks? It's like it's coming from up there. It's coming from down here. I don't know if the water up there is going to put out the smoke down there and they're going to meet in the middle or how it's going to play out. But what do you do in the middle of all that? Well, you probably had some of that going on in your life. This is what you do. You lean in and you say, come Holy Spirit. You wait on the Lord and you receive from the Lord. And he refuels you. And he tests you. And you say, well, who am I living for? Who am I doing this for? This is for Jesus. What did Jesus go through? Well, then let me talk to Jesus. And Jesus starts to encourage you. And you realize, I'm going to keep running the race for Jesus because my eyes are on Jesus. They're not on the ceiling and the water coming through. They're not on downstairs and the smoke coming up. My eyes are on Jesus. Let's keep moving forward. Church, can we keep moving forward and running the good race? Can we fight the good fight? We made it through a pandemic. We made it through a crazy power outage. I don't know what else is coming. You say, well, is there, like in the book of Revelation, is there a verse that says power outages will increase in the end times? I haven't found that. I I don't think it's there. You know, some people like to take whatever event and just land it in the Bible somewhere, find a vice. No, uh, I wouldn't say that. But what I would say is what Jesus says to the church in Philadelphia, you can still be faithful. No matter what you're going through, no one can ever take this away that today you can still be faithful. God has given you everything you need to be faithful to God. And there's no greater goal than to be faithful to God. He will give you everything you need. His grace is sufficient to be faithful to God. So hold on to the word. Live it out by faith. You know, I was talking with someone this week. It's someone who doesn't follow Jesus. I've been sharing with them for a long time. And they asked me the honest question. It was on Zoom. And they said, what do you make of the times we're living in? Because there's some strange stuff going on. What do you make of the times we're living in? And the first thing that came out of my mouth is, well, I'm looking forward to the return of Jesus. That's what I'm looking forward to. And when I read the Bible and I read the book of Revelation, it doesn't get more and more blissful. And then Jesus comes back as just like the ultimate because it's so good. And then Jesus comes back. No, there are challenges that come. But here, notice this. God opens up massive doors in massive challenges. And what I've seen God do in the last two years are things I've never seen God do before. And so I don't hang my head. I lift up my eyes to Jesus, and I want to walk through those open doors for the gospel that I've never seen before. And that's what we read about in the end times. The challenges increase, and the open doors increase. And how will we respond? Well, here's a third truth. Uh, Doors that open in the presence of your enemies. And this one also makes you think twice. Uh, He says in verse 9, I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. Again, uh, Satan is the enemy of God, and Satan will be defeated, and so we're going to experience a day 
when Satan is thrown in the lake of fire. And there's going to be an ultimate vindication when Christ returns. There are many people who will be against you, your calling, living for God. There's an ultimate vindication here. There's going to be many who claim to be in the light, who claim to be in the faith, but they're actually worshiping a false god, or they're worshiping themselves, or they have double lives, and they're deceived, and that's going to increase in the end times. But there will be a final vindication, so the word is, stay the course. Stay the course. Don't go sideways. Stay the course. Stay the course. Psalm 23, you start reading Psalm 23. It's a great psalm of comfort. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides quiet waters. He restores my soul. And you're just like, yes, yes, yes. There is restoration in the Lord that is so good. And then you get to verse five and it says, I prepare a table for you in the presence of your enemies. And you're like, well, that changed the vibe a little bit in Psalm 23. What does that mean? God has the final say. You don't have to take revenge on anyone. God has the final say. And in fact, there's gonna be a vindication when Christ returns. There's gonna be a vindication for those who trust him, live for him, and align with him. And it's gonna be revealed that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and the false religion will be exposed. So Jesus is telling the church because he wants them to know. Now, we've been going through the book of Revelation, focusing on the words of Jesus. And we still have a little ways to go. We're going to look at what Jesus says at the end of the book of Revelation. There's a larger section in the middle, and I've been dripping it as we've been going along. There's a chart here I want to share with you, and this will be helpful, I think. And I want to unpack it because there's a lot of minors. There's majors in the faith and minors. The major, Jesus is coming back. Minors. Let's take a look at some minors. Because for people, when they hear the book of Revelation, this is what they want right away. Like, what's, what's the playbook? What's going to happen? What's the timeline? I'm sharing just one view, and I'm going to highlight some of the key decisions you need to make as you read through the book of Revelation about the details of this timeline. Now, the church age, that's where we are. The next one's the rapture of the church. Notice that it's later on the return of Christ. Here's a decision you need to make. Is the rapture the same as the return of Christ, or are those two different events? And the way you go through that is in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 1 Corinthians 15, you compare and you say, is this the same thing, or are these different things? My personal lean is there's two different events, but there's people in this room who would say it's the same. That's the first decision. Then the next is, well, we have the years of tribulation. This goes back to Daniel and laying out the seven years, and then what's referred to in the book of Revelation many times, and specifics about the three and a half years. Again, I believe there's a seven-year time of tribulation. Uh, there's other Christians who say, no, I'm not going to take those seven years quite so literally. Uh, but there you have this time of tribulation, seven years. And in the middle, you have the Antichrist emerging, demanding to be worshipped. Then you have the return of Christ. Now, I have the rapture at the beginning of the tribulation. There's some Christians who have it at the middle or at the end of tribulation. And like I say, if you want to stick around, stick around. That's not what I read in the Bible. That, that's not what I want to do. It's not what I want to do. Then you have the millennial reign of Christ. This is a thousand years. You say, well, what's going on there and, and where do we get that from? Uh, there are also, 
and it's not on this chart, but plans for Gentiles and plans for Jews. There are some Christians who would say, oh no, promises for the nation of Israel, they're not there. The church is Israel. Well, I believe there's promises for the nation of Israel. I, I take a different view there. And then when you get to the millennial reign of Christ, that's a thousand years. And I want to read you, because you say, where does that come from? This is Revelation 20, and I'm going to read a couple of verses, starting in verse 1. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding it in his hand, a great chain. He seized the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore, because that's what he's been doing, until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. And you continue to read in Revelation 20 about a thousand years, a thousand years, a thousand years. I believe there's a literal thousand years. And, And this is a picture that fascinates me. Jesus returns. You've got people he's raised up, reigning with him. The devil is thrown into the abyss. And even with Christ visible, the devil in the abyss... And the evidence here, the resurrection, there's still going to be people who are hard-hearted and won't turn to Jesus. It'll reveal the hardness of the human heart. Well, there is a final judgment. That final judgment, that's why you need to put your trust in Jesus, because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is a final judgment. We're accountable to our maker, and there's forgiveness through Jesus. And then the eternal state. I wanted to lay that out to you, because these are some of the specifics when you hear about the book of Revelation that you need to know. Rapture, return of Christ, same thing or different. When is it in the tribulation? Uh, this millennial time, this 1,000 years, I take that literally. I wanted to share, because it links to this passage specifically in verse 10, when he says, um, I will, and this is uh, the two different interpretations. I will deliver you from, meaning you won't have to go through the tribulation, or I will deliver you through, meaning I'm going to carry you through those seven years. I believe this passage says deliver you from is another indication that we're not going to be there. But again, these are the minors. Here's the major. We know how it ends. We know Christ is returning. And here's the application. Because the ultimate victory is known, I can have ultimate trust in Jesus today. Because the ultimate victory is known, I can have ultimate boldness today and be freed up from trying to please people. Because the ultimate victory has come, I have ultimate comfort today, and I can overcome today because I know the end of the story. And when we come before Jesus, I just kind of hear that question. Well, you knew how it was going to end, right? Yeah, we did. We knew how it was going to end. Well, doesn't that affect then how you can live today, knowing how it's going to end? Absolutely. There's um, one final piece, and it's doors that have kingdom significance. In verse 11, Jesus says, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God Never again will he leave it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will write also on him my new name. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. When he says coming soon, one day is like a thousand years for the Lord. And when he says coming soon, that means coming suddenly. It's going to be quick and sudden. When he comes. And in addition to that, uh, why doesn't he come sooner? He's not slow in keeping his promises, but every day more people say yes to Jesus and heaven grows. 
So you see why there might be a little perceived delay because every day heaven's growing in population. Every day we're closer to Christ's return. And here, this pillar, you are a pillar of truth in a culture of deceptions and half-truths. There's pillars in the church. This is Galatians 2.9. James, Peter, and John are pillars in the church. The church overall is a foundation of faith and truth and a pillar in the culture. 1 Timothy 3.15 and 1 Peter 2.5. God is building up this living, the living stones and strong pillars. And this is why it ties back to Philadelphia. What happened in Philadelphia? Earthquakes. When there's earthquakes, after the earthquake, what would be standing? Pillars would often be standing. In the middle of the crisis, in the chaos that we're in right now, what's going to be standing? Pillars, oaks of righteousness and the Lord's love and truth, who understand the end times, who understand God's plan, who are trusting Jesus, and who are redeeming the days that we're living in right now. Let's follow that road. And last verse, 2 Corinthians 2.12 This is what Paul says. Now, when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, I found that the Lord had opened a door for me. The doors that God is opening right now are kingdom doors. They're significant doors. They're gospel doors. They're doors of love. I want to point out what's not love. Love is not enabling other people. Love is not gossiping or receiving gossip. Love is not stalling, slacking, lazy, or making up a bunch of excuses and saying that's fine. Love is not false affirmation and flattery. Love is not saying sin is fine and just affirming every behavior. Love is not just trying to please all the people all the time so the people are idols. That's a path of spiritual immaturity. But Jesus says, love and truth and the gospel, a new name, a new Jerusalem, In other words, it's good to look forward because the best is yet to come. It's good to look forward to what God is going to do. And it's open doors right now. It's open doors that'll come. Listen to the Spirit. That's how he closes, listen to the Spirit. I want to invite the elders to come forward right now. And as you listen to the Spirit today, how is God moving in your heart? Is it a day where you're ready to put your trust in Jesus for the first time? Is it a day where you're going to come forward because you have some healing that's needed in your life? Is it a day of repentance and you just want to come forward and get right with God and say, I I want to break free from this sin? Uh, James chapter 5 says, have the elders available with oil to pray, to pray. And that's what we're going to do right now. Uh, Let's pray. Father, we pray for this time. Lord, we thank you. Revelation means what you reveal. And God, you reveal so much. And as you reveal who you are, Jesus, we're drawn to you in worship, to follow you and trust you. Guide this time, Jesus. Jesus, you bring healing. You empower us. You restore. There's no limits to what you can do. You just say to come, ask, seek, knock on the door. Through this time of prayer, we're knocking on the door. We thank you for the invitation, God. And we trust you. In your name we pray. Amen.